Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a community dedicated to helping women connect, learn and lead. One of the most exciting ways we do this is at our annual Future Women Leadership Summit. This year's summit was equally thought-provoking and inspirational, offering plenty of practical take-home advice to accelerate your career. If you couldn't make it, don't worry. I'm bringing you the next best thing to being in the room and sharing the highlights from this year's event. Failure is a disappointing but inevitable fact of life that not even the most experienced or competent leaders are immune to. For Major General Susan Coyle, a failure in her line of work at the Australian Army can literally have life or death consequences. In this talk, recorded live at the Future Women Leadership Summit 2023, Susan reflects on her impressive career in the armed forces and offers invaluable insights into how we can all move past failure. Uh, It was back in 1987. I was this young person. I'm from country New South Wales as well, not far from Gunnedah, actually, Manila, a small country town. And, uh, And I applied to join the Australian Army. And in that time, there was lucky to be 10% women in our army. Most jobs were closed to women, so there was very few roles that we could undertake. But I was heartened when I was at school by this career lecture team that turned up and said, you can join the Australian Army and you can be anything that you want. So I turned up, I went to the Australian Defence Force Academy with my tennis racket, which I didn't use in the first 12 months because you couldn't do anything you wanted. In fact, everyone told you exactly what you had to do. But uh, at that stage, if you had have said to me back in the late 80s that I could be Commander Forces Command, responsible for leading the men and women, almost 70% of the Australian Army, to prepare them and train them for either response in peace or in war, I would have said, you're delusional. Yet here I am, Commander Forces Command. I don't know if any of you know this gentleman on the board. He is a wonderful and inspirational leader to me. His name is Lieutenant General David Morrison. So back in 2014, this gentleman was then our Chief of the Australian Army. And he was faced with a cultural issue that happened in our army that was completely unacceptable. It was a thing that was referred to as the Jedi Council. There were three men who had some atrocious behaviours that impacted the lives of women. And then that circle of the Jedi Council was then shared with a very small number of other men in our army. It became known to our senior leadership. And General Morrison went absolutely and appropriately ballistic in our response. As a result of his actions and his behaviour, we had a fundamental awareness and cultural change across our army. I could not be more proud of him for his decisive leadership in responding to what were the inappropriate and unacceptable actions of a very small number of men in our organisation. I wanted to resign. I thought, my goodness, is this the organisation that I'm a part of? It wasn't. And I didn't resign 
because we dealt with it appropriately. We were fortunate enough to then have Elizabeth Broderick come and join us to do some cultural reform as well. And we have fundamentally changed the way we support each other and encourage that open communication and conversations. He didn't coin the phrase, but he's famous for it. The standard that you walk past is the standard that you accept. Who knew that even Albert Einstein would talk about it as well? We refer to it in the ADF these days as bystander behaviour. And in our view, if anyone illustrates anything or knows about it and doesn't take action themselves, they are complicit and they're held to account. It has fundamentally changed the way we operate. The next uh, failing from mistakes that I want to talk about is when something goes wrong. In 2014 and 15, I was in command of the Australian task group in Afghanistan. It was a pretty dangerous time. We were there to do real work and we were in harm's way every day. My drive team were driving in through the city of Kabul and their vehicle got bogged in a pothole. There were men and women in that vehicle. And these young men and women tried to self-recover this $300,000 multi-tonne up-armoured SUV to bring it back to the barracks. They should have just abandoned the vehicle because their lives are far more worth than any cost of any vehicle in our army. So when they came back, people were, and they recovered it, they self-recovered it, the winch pulled a thing off the front of the vehicle. When they came back, people said to me, you've got to send them home. You've got to send a strong message that they can't do stuff like this and put people in harm's way. I didn't send them home. We used their learning as an opportunity to grow. We learn from our failure and our mistakes and we focus on making sure that we are teaching people how to respond, not punishing them when they make a mistake. No one was injured at all. When you're in your 20s, you're invincible, you know, you don't care. I've got three kids in their 20s, they don't care. They're very responsive. When you're in your 30s, you start to get vulnerable, you've started to have kids, you're trying to balance everything and you really don't know where you are. By the time you're in your 40s again, you get confident again and then in your 50s, you hit menopause. I am saying to you, just be proud of who you are and what era you're going through. Get that tribe, that network of friends and go through it. Jen Whitworth, who's a friend of mine, she's a, she's a retired naval officer. She, again, she didn't coin the phrase, but she's making it publicly known. You can't be what you can't see. We need role models of all types. We need mums. We need corporate women who choose not to have children. We need women who are juggling everything and look harried when they come to work. We need women who are just career driven. We need every type of lady to be a part of our organisation because that is society. So don't be afraid to not be who you are and be proud to be what you are. I'm very proud. I have a people first philosophy. I stand up every year in front of every unit and say, I am here to support you and your families. That's my only role and mission, and that way you'll be able to achieve your job and do it to the best of your ability. This is my, my book I'm, I'm proposing that you all read. I didn't author it. I'm not that smart and I don't have enough time. But it talks about having an environment that is a wonderful workplace to be in. So if you do nothing else, I encourage you to uh, draw this book down. It's only, it's only a short book. It'll take you about half a bottle of wine and a couple of hours. <laughs> and it's a cracking read. I ask you to pay it forward. Mistakes I have made, I've been supported by friends. I have men and women mentors that have supported me through my career. And I encourage you to be the person that supports those other women. Don't be the one 
that knocks somebody in public, be there to empower and support them. And last but not least, you know, believe in yourself sooner. I saw a quote on the weekend which I just thought was phenomenal and it was from Julie Bishop and it said, I set my own standards, I meet my own benchmarks and I don't let others define who I am or what I do. I wish I was that confident to be able to state that publicly in the media. She believes it. And if she can be like that, so can every one of us in this room. Thank you. What an insightful speech from Major General Susan Coyle. Next, you'll hear from Anna Bly, CEO of the Australian Banking Association and the former Premier of Queensland. Anna talks about how we shouldn't fear failure and shares how failure in her youth set her up for a career in the often ruthless world of politics. We've been asked to speak about failure today and I thought I'd frame my comments in the context of fear of failure. Fear of failure can often be um, a very crippling experience. It's the thing that holds us back from opportunities, it locks us out of new activities and it keeps us from leaning into risk. It's that fear that just keeps us leaning back instead of leaning in. But I wanted to speak today in favour of fear of failure because in my life when I look back when I was contemplating this topic, I realised that I'd actually found fear of failure highly motivating. It's what actually drives me to do better. It spurs me on to work a bit harder, a bit longer, to go and find more information, more people, and put in more effort, and to find a better way of doing things so that I don't fail. And fear of failure, as I said, motivates us, and so having some experience of actual failure is not a bad thing. It's not a fun thing, but it is not a bad thing. Given the very public life in politics that, I've cho- that I chose earlier in my life, I consider myself very fortunate to have experienced a very public example of failure very early in my life. It was the late 1970s. I was um, at university, at the University of Queensland. My youthful brain and, and my developing adulthood was experiencing, you know, a multitude of ideas and activity and I became very, very active in the Queensland University Student Union. I became the women's rights coordinator and was on the executive of the student union. And my activity in that, uh, my involvement in that activity really shaped my entire university experience. Just as I came to the end of my degree and I was contemplating what I was going to do next, I was approached by a number of colleagues uh, who were also involved in the student union. And they asked me to lead a team and run for president of the student union. They had obviously seen something in me that I hadn't seen myself and I was quite, you know, doubtful about it at first. But, you know, when you're youthful, you've got a team around you and we all started getting involved, I decided to do it. And I found myself very suddenly um, thrust into public spotlight. I think that I'm trying to, re- trying to remember, I think the voting period is about three or four weeks, so it's a bit like an election campaign. But I found myself speaking at big public events every day, speaking to lecture theatres full of young people. My name and my face was on everything. It was on flyers, it was on posters, it was on T-shirts. So this was big. There were 20,000 students enrolled on the campus at the time. 
All of that attention on one hand was kind of flattering and exciting, and on the other hand, it was absolutely terrifying. It was a very high-stakes um, election. Uh, for the first time, there were only two candidates and both of us were women. So whoever won was going to be the first woman president of the Queensland University Student Union. And I really wanted to be that person. I really wanted to make that history and I really wanted to win. Uh, long story short, I didn't. Uh, we lost that election. And I was 20 years old. And I think when you're 20 years old, you feel terribly grown up and you feel very, very adult. You've been drinking for three years or two years, you know. <laughs> but actually, you're still incredibly young. Life is still, um, you've got a lot of experiences ahead for you and you can be very, very raw and green. I was absolutely devastated by this experience. Um, I literally went home and crawled into bed in the middle of the afternoon. I'd never done that in my life and I stayed in bed for two or three days. I felt exposed and raw. I felt like I was walking down the street naked with a big L on my forehead. I felt terribly guilty for letting my team down because it was a team of people who were mostly people I knew. They were friends. It was a big group of people. I felt humiliated, which is a terrible feeling. And I felt like I would never leave the house again and I was certainly never going to go on the university campus again and I was lying there trying to figure out what could I do with my life that would um, avoid any of the people that had been involved. Within days, of course, family turned up, friends turned up, people rang. In fact, you know, I found very quickly that the people that loved me still loved me and the people that I loved still were there in my life. In fact, one of the things I found which I hadn't anticipated was that, and I think this is a very Australian thing, people actually admired the fact that I'd given it a go and I got much more affirmation about, good on you for having a go, love, than I did, you know, you hopeless loser, what were you thinking? Um, and for me that was actually a really important experience. It wasn't, I didn't run for parliament for another 15 years when I was 35. And I absolutely understood viscerally that in putting my name forward, there were two possible outcomes. And one of them was that I might lose. And knowing exactly what that felt like, knowing that I had recovered from it, knowing that I'd had a happy 15 years since that terrible moment, gave me the strength and the, the ability to say, yes, I'm going to put my name on the ballot paper. I then suffered a terrible defeat at the end of a 17-year parliament, parliamentary career. I was Premier, I had won one election in my own right and then lost the next election. That's what happens in a robust democracy. And in fact, it's, you know, you know I look at our Defence Force, people have died to protect the kind of democracy we have. And robust means that there are winners and losers every single time there's an election. And you can think about that theoretically and think what a great thing it is we've got that democracy, but when you're the one in the middle of it and you're the one that's losing, it doesn't feel like a great thing. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of all of that, I resigned as Premier. I, went, I had to pack up three offices. Um, I got home at like three o'clock on a Thursday afternoon and the new government had been sworn in and my then 20-something, 20-year-old son um, who was home from university said, are you okay, Mum? And I said... Yes, I am, but I just don't know what to do because I'd gone from a 24-7 job. And he said, how about we put on West Wing and have a gin and tonic? And I said, <laughs> great idea. We did that for two days and then we got on with the rest of our lives. 
This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Series producer is Holly Mitchell and audio imaging by Nat Marshall. 